0: If you have your Bible with you, I trust you will open it at the second chapter of Solomon's Psalm. I want to speak upon a subject I have entitled, An Alarm Clock at the Ears of the Saints. We have it here in verse 10, the cry of the beloved to his bride. Rise up, my love, my fair one, and come away, for lo, the winter is past, the rain is over and gone. There are two books in the Bible that need to be studied together. They are the book of Ecclesiastes and the book of of the Canticles of Solomon's song, and they are placed together in the right order in our Old Testament. The book of Ecclesiastes speaks of the vanity of the creature. And over and over again the preacher in the book says, Vanity of vanities, all is vanity. The creature is vain. The creation to the unbelieving eye is vain. The whole of life, from its birth to its death, without Christ, is stamped with vanity. But when you turn to Solomon's song, you leave the vanity of the creature for the sufficiency of the beloved. And in Solomon's song you find that the great search is over. Ecclesiastes is a book of searching, the book of the quest, the book of the man trying by his own initiative, trying by his own labor to attain to peace and pardon and prosperity. When he has finished the course. When he is striven with all the might of human ingenuity, he fails. But when we turn to the song of Solomon, Jesus appears. And there is an unveiling of Christ. And we look on the face of Jesus Christ. You can sum up Ecclesiastes in these words. Whosoever shall drink of this water shall thirst again. You can sum up the book of the song with these words, Whosoever shall drink of the water that I shall give him shall never thirst again. The song of Solomon is filled with the Lord Jesus Christ. And I would suggest to you that you look at the various aspects Of Christ in the psalm. He is portrayed as king. Thank God he is king of kings and lord of lords. The old, shorter catechism, that great little compendium of gospel theology, talks about Christ being king, able to subdue all his and our enemies. Thank God, while the world is out of tune, filled with feeble sounds of controversy and confusion. Above it all, Jesus reigns. Our mighty King is on the throne. He is portrayed in the song as King. He is portrayed in this song as Priest. Thank God for the priesthood of Christ. He has offered for us one all-sufficient, never to be repeated, final, full, complete oblation for our sins. The work is done. The blood is been shed. We are justified freely by saving fear. And praise God, it is well. It is well with our souls. We see Him as priests. We see Him as prophets. We see him in this book as the captain of our salvation. We see him as the great shepherd. We see him as the mighty God. We see him as the surety of heaven. And we see him in a new and wonderful relationship as the eternal lover and the bridegroom of the church. And it is a great thing to do, Christ, in the eternity and immensity And majesty of his everlasting love. No wonder the hymn writer took up his pen and he wrote those words, Loved with everlasting love, led by grace that love to know, Spirit breathing from above, thou hast taught me it is so. You know in this book, We have a blessed revelation of how close Jesus is to His people. And if there's anything you need, my dear Christian brother, my dear Christian sister, is to know deep and intimate fellowship with Christ. It's great to walk with the Lord in the light of His Word. It's great to commune with Jesus. Great to know that there is not a circumstance of life, that there is not a problem that I will face or a difficulty that shall confront me, but in the hour of dark tragedy, I can commune with Jesus and he with me. And in this book we touch the very depths of his love. If you want to test your spirituality, take up Solomon's song. And if it doesn't strike a note within your breast, and if it doesn't bring the teardrop to your eye, and if it doesn't give a great softness and serenity of spirit to your soul, then you're not walking in the light of His Word. But if when you take up this book, your eye is touched with the eye salve of heaven, and you gaze upon the Savior. And you see Christ beauties in His face. And Christ's majesty about His person. And you feel again the tenderness of the touch of the nail pierced hand. And you whisper in the ecstasy of spiritual enjoyment. Oh, I am my beloved. And my beloved is mine. Then, my friend, you know of a surety that you are walking with the Lord. Now, if you study this song, you will find it is not one song, but it is many songs. Many songs with different aspirations and with different outlooks and with different meanings. It is in a strange oriental, dramatic form. There is a about it a mystery That only the man taught by the Spirit of God can unravel. And in this book there are parables that are deep, with a great spiritual meaning and message to each one of them. In this passage that I want to consider with you this morning, we have the sudden visit of the bridegroom to the bride. The Lord comes suddenly. There has been a time of absence. And you know, sometimes the Lord takes the sense of his presence from us. If you are really walking with God, you will know what I'm talking about. There is a time when the Lord's presence is not manifested. And we walk, and we pray, and we read, but the heavens are overcast with clouds. In some way we have to mourn and say, Oh, where is the blessedness I once enjoyed when first I knew the Lord? And then, glory to God, Jesus comes afresh and reveals himself to the soul. Jesus comes, and he comes leaping upon the mountains, thirsty and skipping upon the hills. And if you look at verse 17, those are the mountains of Bether. And Bether speaks of separation. There are various things that separate God's people from the law. It is a terrible thing when we allow the mountains of separation to mount up and to be piled up one on top of the other between ourselves and our blessed Saviour, but how true it is. Perhaps it is neglect just for a day of the quiet place and the quiet time. Perhaps we do not read the blessed book with zeal, and in some way there forms a mountain of separation. The next day, occupied with mundane affairs, and taken up with business and family duties, and family responsibilities. Again, the place of prayer and the reading of the Holy Book is neglected. And soon there is a great mountain of separation and our soul becomes dry and parched. We haven't the zeal that we once had. When the Lord's day comes, instead of saying, thank God it's the Sabbath, There is a spirit of carelessness and laziness has crept in upon us. And when the Wednesday prayer meeting is called, lethargy has overcome us. And there is a great mountain of separation. I wonder, is there a mountain of separation between your soul and your Lord, my dear believer, this morning? Well, thank God my Savior comes leaping upon the mountain. You know, the only thing that will put down those mountains is the touch of the kneel-pierced foot of the blessed Lord. May He stand upon the mountains today. May He crush those things that keep me from intimate and blessed fellowship with the Lord. The greatest experience I ever had in my life was when I was in the prison cell. Because I have time to communicate with God. And it's good to take time, my brethren. We can be so busy and so occupied that we don't take time. You say, preacher, I have so many things pressing in upon me. I have so many things to do. My dear friends, I have so many things to do as well. But if I didn't have that blessed, quiet time with my Lord, what a fool I would be. You know, when... I was a boy, my father used to take out the scythe to cut the grass in the lawn, and he used to stop for a while, and he used to take the sharpener, and he used to put it over the scythe to renew the sharp edge. That time that he spent renewing the sharp edge wasn't lost time, that was the most important time of all the operation. If he had gone on with a blunt edge, it would have cost him more hours of labor, and the job wouldn't have been done so well. We need to take time to our spirit sharpened by the blessed Spirit of God and infinite relationship with God. And then when we bow our back to cut the sword of life's labors, our labor will be easy, and our progress will be quicker, for the hand of our blessed God will be upon us. Yes, he comes leaping upon the mountain. Oh, you say to me, preacher, there is a great mountain of some dark habit that I have never escaped from. There is a mountain of unconfessed sins. And problems that separate my soul from Jesus, let the Lord put His nail pierced feet upon those mountains and crush them to a plain. For every mountain shall be brought low, and every valley shall be exalted. When the Lord comes to talk to His people, then I want you to notice something more about this message. When Christ is away, the soul sits in solitaryness. Nothing can satisfy the believer but fellowship with Christ. You know, it would be a great thing if we learned this. Nothing, nothing can satisfy the infinite longings of the believer's soul but Jesus. And that we haven't fellowship with Christ, then all our living is in the end. And here we have the bride. And what happens when the Lord is away? She goes to sleep. And When Jesus isn't in the church, how sleepy the Christians become. They lose their zest for God and their passion for souls. The burning, flaming spirit of evangelism that should be an eternal conflagration in the heart of the church. And what happens? There is quietness. How many quiet churches there are today? How many sleepy-headed preachers we have? And you think, as you hear them preach, that the word breathing would to God we could set off an alarm clock at their ears and waken them from their senseless slumbers. You know what the book says: One to them that are at ease in Zion." And the church sits solitary. There's no progress. And then Jesus Christ comes. Great when He comes. You know this visit to the church was sudden. He came quickly. He came unexpectedly. He came when the bride was not looking for him. He came in his own time. He came in his own way. He came with a special message. May Jesus come to our hearts today. Oh, that the risen Christ would come and stand amongst us. Oh, that our hearts might be broken with his love. Oh, that we might see the tender and lovely face of our lovely Lord once again, just to look upon the brow that was pierced, just to count again the purple drops that came from his forehead as it was crowned with thorns, just to gaze upon his nail-pierced hands, just to look upon his ribbon side, just to gaze and gaze and gaze upon that sacrifice. Oh, help me, blessed Spirit, to understand it. Help me to take it in. What it meant for me, the Holy One, to bear away my sin. Oh, that He might come to His church. Oh, that He might come to our hearts today. You know, when He comes, there are great changes. I want you to notice that nature is changed when Jesus comes. We had a dear old elder in our church when I first came preaching in Ravenhill, Brother Jack Atkinson. He was a piece of furniture on the Ravenhill road. He was so well known. He used to tell me about the day he got saved down in the Queens Island, down in the old boiler shop, when in answer to his wife's prayers, he fell on his knees. And he said, God been merciful to Jack Atkinson, the sinner, and God saved him. He was a dear man with the smile of God upon his countenance and the joy of God in his face. And he said to me one day, he said, you know, Ian, everything was changed when I was saved. He said, I came up the lagging bank that night, and he said, the old ragweed's, they all looked like orange lilies that night when I was coming home. You know, he was telling the truth, for heaven above is softer blue. And earth around is sweeter green. And something lives in every hue that Christless eyes had never seen. Birds with gladder sounds o'erflow. Flowers with deeper beauty shine. Since I know, as now I know, I am His, and He is mine." Nature changed. The rain was over. Look at it, verse 11. For lo, the winter is past! Oh, that the winter of our backsliding would be past forever! Oh, that the winter of our prayerlessness would be gone forever! Oh, that the winter of our fruitlessness Might be a thing of the past. This is revival. When Jesus comes, the winter is over and gone. The blight of winter, the coldness of winter, the snow and frost of winter. My, it melts away with the rising of the sun. These mornings of bright sunshine, how good it is to get out of bed and get out to the battle, isn't it? But, my, when the rain is pelting on the window and the snow is upon the ground, you don't want to get up to work. But, by these mornings you feel good to be alive. And it's true when the sun shines, shines in the church. Praise God, for every man and woman in this house can say there is sunshine in my soul today, more glorious and bright. Then glows in any earthly sky, for Jesus is my light. Oh, there's sunshine, blessed sunshine. The winter is past. The rain is over and gone. The cold sleet of the blight of backsliding is over. The church is putting on her beautiful garments and rising from the dust of the night. Typically, I'm the sleep of sloth. The flowers appear. Praise God when the flowers appear in the church. When the perfume of the rose of Sharon and the lily of the valley is the sweet incense of Christ's presence among His people. What a day is that! The time of the singing of birds has come. Instead of sleep there is song. Instead of sloth there is the shout of praise. The voice of the turtle is heard in her land. The fig tree putteth forth her green figs. And the vines with their tender grapes give a good smell. Arise, my love, my fair one, and come away. Jesus is saying to us this morning, my brethren and sisters in Christ, come away from your sloth. Come away from your activity. Come away from your sins. Come away from your worldliness. Come away from all those things that blight the people of God. Let us rise and go out in the company of Jesus Christ. And if we're going to do that, we've got to take us the foxes, the little foxes that spoil the vines for the vines of tender grapes. Those little foxes that we allow to come in. Those little foxes that we allow to take over our lives, some root of bitterness, some bit of sinful gossip, some conflict with some other believer, let us take those little foxes and deal with them, that the vines of the Lord's house may grow up to the blessed perfection that is the result of revival. You know, there is a threefold relationship of the believer's heart here. The believer is afraid that she wouldn't contact the bride. She's afraid of the bridegroom going away and leaving her. And we should always be afraid lest we grieve the Spirit of God. The Spirit of God is very easily grieved, you know. He's very tender. And when the Spirit of God is working in the church, we should be very careful not to grieve Him by some foolish word, by some stupid act, by allowing a sinful thought to stay rooted in the life by refusing to be the best that we ought to be for Christ. We should live in perpetual fear that we might grieve away the Spirit of God. Wouldn't it be a terrible thing in this great church that God has given us if we grieved away the Spirit? And we could come into the pulpit like Samson and we could shake ourselves as at other times. And tragedy of tragedies not know that the Spirit of the Lord has departed. Wouldn't that be a tragedy? There are many churches like that in the land and they don't know it. The power is gone. Let us fear lest we grieve the Spirit of God. man came to me the other day and he said to me, and he said, you'll have to change your ways if you're going to stay in parlor. You'll have to trim your seals a little and not be so outspoken. I said to him, I said, my dear friend, I would rather be outside Parliament with a good conscience and the blessing of God than be in it as a twister. And so I wrote. My friend, I cannot trim my seals to any political breeze that blows. I've got to walk with the Lord no matter who likes it or who doesn't a fellow yonder in Port Rush and he thought he was going to get a great support in the crowd when he started on Sabbath desecration. And he said, the bath should be open and everything should be opened on Sunday. And he thought that I would compromise and I'd just hit him with the fourth commandment between the eyes. And to the amazement of us all, the crowd turned on him and not on the speaker. I want to tell you, if you honor God, God will honor you. God will not let you die. Let's keep a clean conscience. And let us be afraid, lest we grieve the Spirit. And then the bride had a revelation of the the bridegroom's love. And she saw how loving her Lord was. How loving is the Lord Jesus. You know, He knows all about us. And we're only a bunch of sinners, every one of us. There's nothing good in us. Paul said, In my flesh dwelleth no good thing. And the great thing about my Lord, He loves us still. With all your imperfections, saints of God, with all your sinning, with all your backsliding, Jesus loves us with an everlasting love. His love will never change. His love will never fail. Jesus loves. Fresh as love, boundless and pure and free. Oh, turn to that love, weary, wandering soul. Jesus pleadeth with thee. And then in this verse there is a revelation of hope. And praise God, there's a better day coming when my vision of fear will be turned to sight. When I'm going to see Jesus personally. What a thrill I'm going to have when my eyes shall behold him and not another, as old Job put it. We're going to see the Lord. We're going to see the very print in his hands, the very scars on his forehead, the very thrust of the spear in his side, and we'll say then, My Jesus, I love thee. I know, Albert Bynes. I trust that this message has brought the Lord Jesus closer to you today. I trust that our hearts will be moved in His presence. And as the people of God will be different after this morning, because we have seen and met afresh with Jesus, may it be so for Jesus' sake.